This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring and pick from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, metal types, and settings. Brilliant Earth also offers wedding rings, vintage pieces, and many other handcrafted jewelry items with exclusive unique designs you can't find anywhere else. To enjoy free shipping and returns on any of Brilliant Earth's fine jewelry selections, just visit brilliantearth.com manliness. That's brilliantearth.com manliness. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Many people today are feeling stressed or overwhelmed by life. The typical approach to treating these issues is to learn how to manage one's symptoms through things like mindfulness or meditation. My guest today argues that mere management is insufficient. Instead, we need to tackle the root of what's causing us to feel anxious, stuck, and generally lost, a decreasing sense of agency. His name is Dr. Paul Knapper, and he's a psychologist and the co-author of the book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a life on your own terms. Today on the show, Paul makes the case that the reason more and more people feel like they're floundering is that they don't have a strong sense of personal agency. Paul explains what he means by agency and why learning how to get better at thinking, acting, and making choices for yourself can be the real key to feeling less stuck in life. Paul and I then discuss the seven overarching principles of increasing your agency, as well as tactics to put them into practice. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is agency. Paul joins me now via clearcast.io. All right, Paul Knapper, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Brett. So you are the co-author of a new book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. So you're a psychologist. You also co-wrote this with another psychologist. You're in two different fields. Your other, the co-writer is Anthony Rayo. So you both work in psychology. You work in the field of management psychology. Your co-author is a child and family psychologist. And you start off the book saying that you've both seen a rise in anxiety and overwhelm amongst your clients. How has this been manifesting this itself in different ways for, to both of you guys? Yeah, great question. And it gets right to the heart of the book in terms of what we're what we're trying to address. In, in Anthony's practice, I call him Tony, he he has seen in in the the, the folks, you know, that he his patients, he's seen and primarily his patients are boys. So families bring boys in who are experiencing some trouble. Boys are actually overrepresented in therapy practices throughout the country. And what how it shows up in boys, overwhelm and anxiety is the kids tend to get in trouble in school. Their grades go down. They they get angry. More and more, they're escaping to screens. Some of them, more and more, he's finding actually go on strike and uh, just basically want to opt out of everything. So he's seen that in kids, in the boys, in his practice. What I see with the adults I work with, and again, I do executive coaching work helping adults to realize their full career potential. And what I see are people experiencing, you know, feeling stuck, you know, feeling periodic overwhelm. Some people, you know, experiencing overwhelm, you know, almost daily. They're also kind of feeling a lack of decisiveness. You know, a lot of people complaining that, you know, that they have the sense that outside forces are are more powerful than they are and they just feel in some ways kind of powerless to to navigate in, in their lives so you know 
all all in. I mean, both both sort of you know younger younger folks and adults. You know, many people are kind of struggling to find their place in the world. So that's 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 how it shows up. And you know, so bottom line is, you know, we wrote this book to help people who are feeling that sense of of stuckness. Yeah, another one one thing I thought was interesting. You also you talked to like a minister, and this guy in the book says that one thing he's noticed in the past ten to fifteen years is that more of the members in his congregation like they're coming to him for help for things that people wouldn't come to help you know come for help a couple years ago, and it's like they just like they don't know what to do. Yeah, like, there's like is there like a lack of self reliance. That's right. No, that's really that's that's really true. We we see that all over, and you know, in in times of 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 stress. You know, people turn to other people for help. They they look they look to other people also for validation. So we see that in the social media phenomenon. You know, people are looking for at other people and trying to figure out what are they doing, and you know, am I doing what they're doing? And so so you know, another person. We had the minister. We interviewed him. We also interviewed a woman who has been a therapist for 60 years and seen, you know, clients over the span of a really long period of time. And she framed the issue as, you know, being that we're we're really in a race to adapt as a as a culture. The culture has changed so much. The demands of modern life have 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 changed so so drastically in the last 30 years that as she put it, we're in a race to adapt. And, and I think that's why the minister from Minnesota, when we interviewed him, he, you know, he he said the same thing. People are hungry for advice. They're not sure, they're running out of coping skills. And and when people run out of coping skills, it shows up as overwhelm and anxiety. And and they, you know, what happens from there is, you know, people have a harder time making decisions, sorting through options. You know, they it just it gums up the system. So you guys make the case that, you know, the past few decades, the the focus on how to manage this anxiety and sense of overwhelm is, you know, managing stress, stress reduction things. But you guys say that's the wrong approach. Why do you think it's the wrong approach? Well, this is a good question also. I, and and we're not really saying that that those things are the wrong approach. Managing stress is important and you know, we all need we all need to do that, but what we're trying to get at in the book is that people are struggling with almost too much on their plates, too many things to do. So there there're lots and lots of of things being written that that essentially are recommending people add more things to their to-do list. You know, do this, you know, don't do that. And people are already overwhelmed. And so in some respects, we we frame the problem not as, you know, you need to do this and, and don't do that. But really the problem is that people are feeling that they've lost the capacity to think for themselves. And we wanted to write, in many respects, this is an ambitious undertaking, we wanted to write almost the granddad of of of, of all personal growth self help books, which is, you know, helping people think more for themselves, having more confidence in their capacity to make choices for themselves, so they figure out what they need to do. We're giving people overarching principles to put into place in their lives to guide them, but 
really we're saying, you know, the goal here is for you to become the expert in your own life and develop the confidence to make decisions for yourself. So, so that's a little bit different. The focus isn't on simply do, do this, this and do, and don't do that. It's really about, you know, grabbing the, the, the bull by the horns and developing the, the sort of mental toughness to make better choices in your life. All right. So it's all about making choices on your own. So that's gets this to the title of the book. That's agency, right? That, that is agency. I mean, I mean, we we define agency as it's it's the ability to act as an effective agent for yourself. So everybody understands the concept of a of a of a talent agent or of a sports agent. You know, that that's a person who who helps you know, guide someone along, helps them, smooths the way for their career, opens doors for them, opportunities for them. So, so we understand the idea of, of, of an agent working for someone uh, on their behalf. But what we're writing about is a concept that has long been discussed in, in the field of psychology and philosophy and sociology. And it's about the, the, the capacity that each of us has inside ourselves to be an effective agent, to do that for, for ourselves. And that's what we've been finding have, has been, you know, kind of declining, you know, as people, you know, struggle to adapt, as they experience more anxiety and overwhelm, the capacity to, to, to find their agency and, and to you know, put it into, into, into action is declining in, in many people. So that's that's really you know you you've you've you've, you've kind of get gotten to the nub of it, Brett. You know, with that question. Well, I mean, so but are, is agency actually reducing, or is it like people sense it? Because like we live in an age now where you can like you can customize shoes however you want. You can make an iPhone case whatever you want it to say. Is, has agency actually reduced, or do is it just people are overwhelmed and so they feel like their sense of agency has decreased? Well. That's that's you know that 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 def- deciding what you know is primary and what's secondary is a part of your, your question, which is good. What's true of how we live today is there are more we're faced with more choices. You know, there's it's become a cliche to to, to talk about the fact we live in the so-called information age, but we do. We live in an age where there are there there's enormous amount of information coming at us each and every day. And we are required as, as human beings to make choices each and every day in, 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 in our lives. And because of the sheer volume of information coming our way and you know the fact that the economy is changing, jobs are changing, there are more demands, more thinking demands, mental demands being placed on us than were, existed 30 years ago. So, you know, psychologists call this the cognitive demands, which, which is just basically the thinking demands. So in a lot of respects, you know, we have to be, our thinking skills matter more today than, than they ever did. And that's a function of living in, in this information age with so many things coming at us, so many messages. We have to get clear on, you know, what our priorities are. And what we talk about is the importance of being able to think clearly for oneself is, you know, that's the, that sort of forms the bedrock of having a sense of self-confidence. And when you have a sense of self-confidence, your anxiety goes down and your level of agency goes up. 
And so that's what we are trying to help people to find is, you know, find their, their, their confidence and allow their agency or their capacity to be an effective agent for themselves to, to increase that. And it sounds like the way you've written about in the book, agency is a skill that can be learned. And I feel like I've noticed something with younger people and even myself is that, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties and you were sort of told like, here's the thing you do. Like you go to high school and then you take the SAT and then you go to college and then you do this. Like the really, I didn't have to make too many, like there were some choices, but you know, basically I had this pattern I had to follow and that was it. And so you have a lot of young people who haven't really had to exercise agency because they just follow whatever they're supposed to do. And now they're in this fast changing world where like the old pattern doesn't work. And now they having a hard time figuring out what to do now because they haven't really exercised that agency muscle. No, it's, it's a great point. I think, I think what's true is over the last 30 years, and a lot's been written on this, you know, kids are being raised with more and more structure all the time. So highly structured activities, you know, a lot of times very structured academic tracks. And so, you know, the idea behind that is to give kids a leg up, right? To, to increase their capabilities, to make them more competitive in, you know, the, the modern economy. The downside of that, as you've pointed out really well, is without structure, which is, you know, when you reach adulthood, there's a lot less structure, right? You've got to invent that for yourself. That's where agency comes in. So we're seeing a lot of younger folks who, without the structure, they feel lost and they don't have a lot of resiliency. So they don't bounce back as effectively as, as you'd like from setbacks. And so this book is 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 for them. It, it's also for folks who are who are older who are further along in their careers who are experiencing change that they need to adapt to but agency can be learned is the bottom line it's there's no book out there that's really set up to teach agency there's a lot of academic stuff on agency on why it matters and you know it's it's basically integral to the human experience and i think why it's coming up now is because people are really struggling to find it and you know part of that is just you know we're really distracted you know everybody you know is trying to sell us something and it's very easy to kind of lose your your way in in today's world and you know part of this is 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 also you know what we define as how do you look at success right i mean you know we we're bombarded with images each and every day about what telling us, you know, what success looks like. And, you know, America is a very achievement-oriented country. In, in many respects, that's what's made us so strong. But too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And people being exposed to so many images of what success looks like, what it should look like, you know, it it, it can be distracting. It also can be demotivating. And so what we're what we advocate in our book is people need to do some deep reflection on what does success mean to you? Because it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone and it shouldn't mean the same thing to everyone. So, you know, agency is partly about finding out where do you stand in, in your life in terms of what matters to you and how you want to live. Cause there are lots of different ways to live. 
not just one way. And so it starts with it starts with that with with getting some clarity on what's important to you. Well, let's dig into how we can have more agency in our lives. So you the book the subtitle of the book there's seven principles. What are those seven principles? And then talk about how they interact with one another. Yeah, there's seven simple you know basic sort of foundational principles to, to that, that help keep people grounded. And the first three we call behavioral principles. Behavioral in the sense of you know they're, they're simpler. They're you know they're they're things you can just start to do behaviorally in your life. The first one is called control stimuli, which is it revolves around the idea of controlling the amount of stimulation you expose yourself to. The second principle is called associate selectively, which is paying attention to the people you have around you in your life. The third is move. Move means using your body, paying attention to your physical health, you know, eating well, getting enough rest and hitting the gym or running or you know, whatever activities, whatever type of movement appeals to you, you know, get your body in motion. So those are the three f- behavioral principles. The next four we call the cognitive principles, which are more about thinking and, and managing your emotions. These are a little more complicated because they involve thinking and emotions. So the first of the cognitive principles is called position yourself as a learner. And the reason why this is one of our core principles is because our capacity to learn really defines us. Then the idea of positioning yourself as a learner what that implies is it's a it's a very active thing that we all need to do. We need to actively position ourselves to learn in all situations from from all people. So learning is 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 integral to a sense of agency. The the next principle is called manage your emotions and your beliefs. And this is probably the toughest one of all. It's how do we manage our emotions? How do we manage our beliefs? You know, how do we determine if 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 our emotions and our beliefs are where they where they need to be? Are are they in balance? Because I mean, one of the key findings of our of our book, of our research, is that when our minds and our bodies physically are in balance, our decision making improves. And when our decision making improves, we then create a life that's more along the lines of what matters to us what what you know what what we want in our lives so when your emotions and your beliefs are out of whack it's hard to to be grounded it's hard to to be a good decision maker so this is one of the a very important principle and there's lots of things you can do in terms of better managing emotions and 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 beliefs um, you know the bottom line here is you know we are more we are emotional creatures primarily human beings are herd animals also which is i think underemphasized and being a herd animal just think of wild horses out out in the wide open spaces right one gets spooked and they all run right and you know human beings are like that too we 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 often don't i don't think acknowledge that and so you know when you're exposed to people who you know have high emotions you know you start to take on some of those emotions yourself so being careful about that being you know being aware of that is 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 very important the the next principle is check your intuition checking your intuition means doing a gut check 
what do I feel about this situation? You know, what, what's my gut telling me? And making sure you use that information wisely, which is to say not impulsively, but as a source of additional data in making decision. And then the final and sort of pinnacle practice is we call deliberate, then act, which the bottom line with this final principle is that you want to separate your thinking and deliberation from you're taking action, especially on really important decisions. So when you need to make an important call, give thought to how are, how am I actually going to make this decision and, and separate that from taking action and then figure out, okay, so once I've made the decision, how do I put that into, into action? Perfect. Well, let's dig deep into some of these principles. One of the chapters that really stood out to me was the idea of controlling stimuli. So what are the types of stimuli that we need to manage in order to help increase our agency? Well, this is this is really important. And the reason this is the first principle is because, you know, you need to have a clear head in order to really do anything of value in your life, right? I mean, if your head is clogged with all kinds of of, of information and distraction, it's really hard to, to kind of be effective in be present and make good decisions. The other reason why this is our first principle is that, you know, when you achieve this, when you're able to keep more of a clear head, it allows you to use the other principles. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, that you can do here, many different techniques, you know, some common ones that more and more people are starting to do that, that I'm seeing is, you know, putting your phone away, putting it in a box or in a drawer for periods of time so that's out of sight. You know, what we found is out of sight, out of mind is really good when it comes to electronic devices. And there's a really simple reason for that. Um, you know, from our interviews with, with, all, with all kinds of people in different walks of life, you know, we arrived at, at a place that was a little scary, <laughs> which is that you know, more and more, we are like trained monkeys tethered to devices that prompt us at all hours of the day. You know, where we put our attention is literally everything. It's the most important decision you make for yourself and in your life. So if you are literally being led around by devices and your attention is, just, is simply going where other people are prompting it to go, you're not going to be in control of your life. You're not going to feel great ultimately, and your level of agency is going to decline. So simple, simple acts of just you know putting that phone away out of sight for periods of time is enormously helpful. One other piece of advice in terms of devices, you know, which is that a lot of times when you want to reach out for your device, do something different. Move your body instead. Get up, take a walk, stretch. You know, a lot of times we reach for a device when we need a moment to recharge. And reaching for your device does not really recharge us. So another thing to focus on in terms of controlling stimuli is do less multitasking. Do more what we call monotasking, one thing at a time. I'll give you an example. I was backing out of my garage yesterday and you know, my phone was going off. I live in Boston. We, you know, space is tight here, garage is, is small, We've got snow piled up from the last snowstorm, and I was having to angle my car to avoid the mound of snow. 
And in any case, you know, my phone was beeping and getting a text message. I was distracted. So, you know, not paying close attention, I nicked the mirror onto the side of the garage. And, you know, it's an example, you know, a concrete, simple example of what can happen when we're doing too many things at one time and our attention is divided. So we, you know, there's a lot of research that suggests when we are multitasking, we actually think we're doing a lot better than in fact we really are. And so we, we want to, you know, one of the other, you know, as I said, a simple practice here in controlling stimuli is do less of that, do less multitasking. There's tons of other things in the book, other, other things you can do to control the stimuli in your life. But the bottom line here is in terms of technology, because technology has been a game changer and it, it, it has a lot to do with why controlling stimuli has become such a, an important thing for all of us to do. You want to make sure that you're using technology rather than letting technology use you. And you know this is something I bet you can relate to, Brett, because it seems to me that, and this is more just an inference I'm drawing, but it seems to me that you're someone who uses technology as opposed to letting it use you. So you, know, you find ways to productively employ it to, to enhance your life, and you probably try to limit the downside of it uh, you know, invading your life. That is true. Yeah, I've used apps to like control. Like, well, actually, I don't have Instagram on my phone. I don't. I don't. I don't look at Twitter really anymore. Facebook don't use that anymore because I just it didn't wasn't bringing me any value. That's huge. Now those are really great examples of controlling stimuli, and it become it's it's become much much more important that we all do this. And you know, for each person, there are different things to do, different ways to go about it. It's not a one size fits all thing. But to your credit, I mean, you, you know, you actually made some very clear choices. And I'm sure you probably reflected on those choices before you 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 acted on them and and made them for good reason. You know, I I got off of Facebook four years ago. And you know, the the strange thing is I was not a heavy user of Facebook. But the strange thing is, just thinking about doing it, you know, getting off, I felt anxious. I was like, I was like, you know, like, wow. Well, what, what am I, what am I, what, what will I be giving up? What will I be missing by making that decision? <laughs> and, you know, it, it was strange because, you know, I, again, not being a heavy user, it wasn't like it was that. It, it wasn't that it was that important to me. But once I made the decision and did it, I never looked back, and I and I frankly didn't miss it. But you know, the thing is, is that you know. There's an opportunity cost, which is an economic principle for every decision we make. And the opportunity cost is if, you know, when you say yes to something, you're in effect saying no to something else. So when you're on social media, just for example, since we're talking about it, when you say yes to social media and you're, if you spend an hour, uh, two hours on it every day, that's two hours that you don't have for something else. So, you know, there's, and there's a huge cost to that. So in any case, it's, you know, that's, that's an important topic in its own right on how to control stimuli and, you know, all the different ways to do it and all the different, you know, the ways that you do it, Brett, the ways that, you know, other people do it. It's, it's, it, and it, and it is a really, really critical thing for us today. Well, let's talk about the next principle, which is associate selectively. How do the people we choose to associate with influence our sense of agency? They influence us hugely, and this is a one of the the more critical principles as well. The main reason is we pick up the emotional states of other people. 
when other people around us are confident, happy, motivated, open, we we are too. So if you're surrounded by people who are not those things, if you're surrounded by people who are depressed, angry, you know, negative most of the time, you're going to become that way yourself. That's just, it's, it's how we work. It's, it's called mirror neurons. And we all have these, these mirror neurons that, that function and we, we don't have full control over those. We just don't. The, the other important thing about associating selectively and, you know, what that means is, I mean, to associate selectively, what it means is actively choosing the people that you have in your life and especially the people that are closest to you. You know, you've got some great information on your website about the different types of friendships, especially the types of friendships men have and, you know, how many people generally we have in our closest circle. The common number is five people, six people are sort of in our, our, our inner circle. Those people closest to us have an enormous effect on our level of agency. The other thing that's critical here is isolation for human beings is like kryptonite. It's, you know, it's, it's, it really, really diminishes our agency. And, and that's why, you know, agency really is always expressed, you know, with and through the relationships we have with other people. So it's both about making sure you're not isolated, making sure that the inner circle of folks really are supportive you know, confident, motivated people, people you can learn from, people you can enjoy. So you want to move toward people like that. And if you can't fix a relationship that's gotten really negative, you know, we're not suggesting you abandon people when they become difficult at all. You know, that's not, that, that's not appropriate. But if you can't get relationships onto a better path, then limit the amount of time you spend with those people. Or if you absolutely have to, move on because those people are really going to cost you a lot. So so anyway, that's that that's what associate selectively means. There's a lot of different ways to, you know, as you read if you read the chapter, you know, there are a lot of different ways to practice associating selectively in your life. But it, it's it's probably the most important decision that you're going to make is is who you surround yourself with. And it can be the hardest one too. Like you said, there might be some really good friends or even family members who are bringing you down. And in order for you to move on in your life, you might have to separate yourself a bit from them or a lot. And that can be really hard. That's right. It can be very painful, but it starts with an awareness of, you know, sort of a taking stock of who's in my life, you know, who, who in my life really supports me? Who in my life do I learn from? Who in my life kind of gets me motivated and charged up, you know, each and every day? Do I have anyone? You know, if I don't have anyone, that's a real problem. And so, you know, there's ways to, you know, set boundaries, set limits on on some of the people who are really negative. You know, for certain family members, you know, it's impossible. You don't you don't cut family members out of your life entirely, but there are ways to diminish the impact they have on you so you're not, you know, you don't you you don't fall into the same traps over and over. And again, also having really, you know, good quality people in your life who support you and and push you forward in your life. Those people can make up for you know other people who have a more negative influence. But yeah, this is a, this is a, this is an important one. Again, people you surround yourself with, I uh, want to make really good choices there. 
We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. So whenever we had a style guy on the podcast, they've always said every man should have at least one suit in their wardrobe. And we've written about this too on theartofmanliness.com. And here's why. You're going to wear this to job interviews, weddings, funerals, or any event where a suit is required. Now, you can go to the department store and buy an off-the-rack suit. And you can tailor parts of it. But there's parts of that suit you're not going to be able to tailor. So it's not going to fit you just right. You can go to Indochino.com, get a custom made-to-measure suit, and you're going to pay about the same price as you would at that department store for that off-the-rack suit. Here's how it works. You go to Indochino.com. You get to pick out how you want your suit to look, the fabric, how you want the jacket to look, the lapels, the pockets. You can decide if you want pleats, no pleats on your pants, cuffs, no cuffs. And then you follow their easy-to-follow measuring guide. You put in your measurements, and in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure suit, custom suit, sent directly to your door. I did this. Got a navy blue suit from Indochino. On this one, I don't have any pleats. Usually, I'm a pleats guy, but this one, I wanted to go no pleats. Also, have no cuffs on this one. And on the jacket, I went traditional on the jacket. I didn't do anything fancy there. So if you want to get a great deal on a custom made to measure suit, here's what you do. Go to Indochino.com and enter code manliness and you can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379. Again, that's about the price you'd pay for an off the rack department store suit. Plus shipping is free. So go check it out today. Indochino.com promo code manliness for any premium suit for just $379 and free shipping. Go check it out today. Also by Policy Genius. It's spring. It's the time of year when seeds grow into flowers and you grow financially. Your family needs protection if something happens to you, and that means life insurance. Thankfully, Policy Genius makes it easy to get that financial security without the growing pains. Policy Genius is the easy way to buy life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. There's no commissions, no hidden fees, just financial protection and peace of mind. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare and buy home insurance, auto insurance, and disability insurance too. We've written about the importance of insurance on theartofmanliness.com, particularly life insurance. If you're married and you got kids, you want to know that your family's going to be taken care of if something happens to you. But also there's other assets you got to pick. If you have a home, you need home insurance, get a best price on that. Disability insurance is something good to have too. I just got that recently and it was a big hassle. Using Policy News might've helped out a lot. So the next time you stop to smell the roses, pull out your phone and head to policygenius.com. Policy Genius Spring is here. Kick it off by nipping life insurance in the bud. And now back to the show. Well, in a book about making choices for yourself, I was surprised to find a chapter on just movement, exercise, moving your body, taking care of yourself. What role does that play in agency? Yeah, this is this is huge, actually, too. I mean, movement increases brain activity. It's as simple as that. You know, we need our brains. Our brains are, we need their, our brains each and every day, obviously. It sounds silly to say it. But, you know, our brains are, are the thing that, that make us unique and anything that helps us, you know, in terms of allowing our brain to function better is, is positive. So movement increases brain activity. Anything from a brisk walk, you know, on up will increase the blood flow to the brain. This recalibrates our mood. It affects all our neurotransmitters. It basically, it, it's the thing that, that that allows our brain to function at its best. So we're designed to be, we're designed to move. I mean, we, we are designed to be in motion as as people. And what's happened is, you know, over the last, this is, you know, true for the last 30 years in particular, we've become much more sedentary. We sit around way too much in general. Now, you know, there are plenty of people who don't, who practice movement, but there are a lot of people on a cultural level, on a, on a you know population-wide level, many, many more people are spending more time uh, sitting. A lot of this has to do with screens. A lot of it has to do with you know devices because most often 
you know, we're sitting down when we're on devices. Okay. You know, you've seen, obviously you've seen people walking while looking at a device and, and you've probably seen that that doesn't always work out so well. <laughs> and right. um, so, you know, uh, there's a lot of information out there about the importance of movement. But when we say movement, we mean something that goes beyond just physical movement. And what we mean is paying attention to your physical body and what it needs to be, you know, in tip top shape. So, you know, it's like taking your car in for service, right? I mean, there are, there are a lot of men, you know, I know who, who, who keep their car in better working order than they do their own physical bodies, right? I mean, so it's about what are you eating? Uh, it's about how much exercise you get. It's about how are you sleeping? What are your sleeping habits? You know, there's a lot of research about how chronically sleep deprived most Americans are. That is really a problem because when we're sleep deprived, we actually lose IQ points. We don't feel as good. It sets us up for chronic illness later in life. So there are a lot of things, simple things to pay attention to here in the, in the move chapter, which is essentially you know, all related to your physical body. Because the bottom line here is your, our physical bodies are connected to our brains. So, you know, again, principle, overall overarching principle of the book, you know, when, when we are in better balance physically, and mentally, we show up in life differently. And, you know, we have higher levels of agency and we make better decisions for ourselves. And I think the other thing it does too, by exercising regularly or choosing to take care of yourself is that it increases your sense of agency because you're exercising your agency when you decide to do those things. That's exactly right. No, that that's, I really, that's a beautiful thing you just said. I, I, I you know, because when we are sitting, you know, we essentially are in some ways communicating that we are stuck. And more and more people, this, you know, people I coach in my work, um, we talk about this. You know, when I ask them to review, well, tell me about a typical day in your life. Like, what is it like? And, you know, I pay attention to how much time are they actually, you know, moving around. And for a lot of people who feel very stuck in their lives, simply moving more has a has has an enormous impact. You know, again, movement boosts creativity and fluid thinking. It jump starts motivation. And you know, if you're sedentary for long periods of time, it basically can produce what the psychologist Martin Seligman referred to as learned helplessness, which is that, you know, you just don't you know, you feel trapped. You you feel stuck. And so you know, it's very important to to move your body. I mean, any of us can relate to that, right? If you you know you sit around for a day or two and don't do much anything, you start you don't start to you start not feeling so great, right? Your thinking is less clear. You know, your emotions can get out of whack. The other point I'll make, you know, on on the chapter on move is the importance of being outdoors, getting time in nature, because part of you know what's happened over the last thirty years is not just that we are sitting too much, but we're also indoors too much. So getting outside it is so beneficial to our sense of agency. It improves our mood. It, it improves our creativity. So, you know, get outdoors. And even if literally just if it's 10, for 10 minutes, it can be a game changer. 
So those are the behavioral principles. Let's talk about a few of the cognitive principles. And the first one you talked about is positioning yourself as a learner. What does that look like and why is that important to increasing agency? Yeah, you know, this is something that has become more important now than than ever before. And and it position yourself as a learner. We talked about this, you know, I talked about this a little earlier. The bottom line with this principle is when we are well-informed, we make better decisions. So our book teaches you how to get the best information. We also help you to identify your best learning style. Everyone learns differently. There's, there, there are a few different learning styles. It's really useful for all of us to know how we learn best. You know, Again, back to the point I made earlier about living in the information age, learning is really required of us now. So the, anything we do that can expand our capacity to learn increases our personal power. It increases our level of agency. So it's really, really important to think about how to best position yourself to learn. And we can learn all, throughout every, each, of our, each day. We can learn. There's opportunities. Learning from the people around us, there's always opportunities to pick up new information just by being curious and opening ourselves up to new learning. And again, this increases agency because our capacity to take things in and learn allows us to exert power in our lives. So, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, your interview with with Mike Rowe was interesting to me because Mike makes a good case for, you know, there there are different ways that that people learn and, and, and express agency in their lives. Not everybody, you know, not everyone's talent is expressed by sitting at a desk and and college is not necessarily traditional college is not necessarily for everyone either and so a lot of people ask me well you know in this information age you know everyone's required now to go to college and to some extent it's easy to see how how people come to that determination because one of the better things about attending college is Ideally, it teaches you how to think better, okay? It's not so much about all the information you learn there, but it's, it's, it's teaching you how to think and how to learn. So there are other ways, however, to learn how to think and to learn how to learn. So what we talk about in our book is learn how you learn best, you know, get, get, increase your level of awareness of that. And make sure you incorporate learning into, you know, your, your, your everyday experience and make good choices around how you educate yourself and, and realize it's not, it's not necessarily a one size fits all approach. Yeah. I imagine just learning how to learn is going to be like the skill that will allow you to have more agency in today's world because jobs are always changing. Businesses are always changing. Like what worked 10 years ago doesn't work today. And that's probably why a lot of people in their careers feel overwhelmed. They're like, well, man, like that stuff I learned in college or when I first started my career, like that doesn't work anymore. They don't know what to do because they never really learned how to learn. But so if you're constantly positioning yourself as a learner, you're able to adapt as things change and exercise agency. That's exactly right. And it, it, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you pay attention to how you learn and you, you know, develop a habit of learning in your everyday life, that helps you to adapt to whatever comes 
down the pike later. And I think you said it well, Brett. There's a statistic that speaks to this as well, that kids kids born today, you know, more than 50% of the jobs that are out there will no longer exist by the time they're adults. So for someone born today, it's really in some ways impossible to prepare them for a specific thing. So we're better off helping kids to develop greater agency, which is to say helping them to to be able to better adapt to whatever comes along. And the capacity to learn is really, you know, probably the most important thing there in terms of helping you to be more adaptable in your in your life. So you mentioned at the beginning earlier in the show that managing your emotions it's one of the cognitive skills that's really hard, but it probably has one of the, just like associating selectively has a big payoff. So why is being aware of our emotions and knowing how to manage those an important part of increasing agency? Well, we're emotional creatures, you know? I think that sometimes we, you know, we, we, we underemphasize that or forget that, but you know, we're living in a world that is more and more complex every day, you know, more and more information you know, that we have to, to deal with. And, you know, we, again, we, we're emotional creatures, you know, a lot of people feel things first and, and our feeling affects our thinking, you know, they're, 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 they're in some respects hard to separate. So the reason why managing your emotions and beliefs is one of the core principles of agency is that emotions are the strongest things happening in our heads. Our emotions can can derail us. They can take us down blind alleys if we're not self-aware. So this capacity to to kind of um, reflect on your feelings, to understand better why you feel the way you do, really helps um, to ensure that you know you have your emotions rather than your emotions have you. Because when our emotions are are in charge. It, it often leads to less positive outcomes. So in other words, said, said differently, when we apply some thinking to our emotions, we usually end up in a better place. We make better decisions for ourselves. So that's, that's the, the, the bottom line with emotions and beliefs. And the, the other point I'll make in terms, in terms of beliefs is, you know, beliefs are better off when we actually question them and update them over time. You know, as we learn more, as we grow, we sometimes need to update our beliefs. You know, we talk we talk about the difference in the in, in the book about the difference in values and beliefs. Values tend to be bedrock things, the things we value, the things we think of as you know most important, sort of unchanging values. Beliefs are are sort of you know connect they're connected to emotion, and they're connected to what we know and. If we're actually learning in our lives, we will modify some of the things we believe as, as we learn more. And, and that helps us navigate in the world better. Because when we, we navigate in the world with outdated beliefs, you know, we don't make good decisions for ourselves. So it's important to, you know, to kind of realize the, how, how beliefs and emotions affect our, our thinking. And when you understand that relationship better, again, you make better choices for yourself. Well, Agency, you know, it comes down to making choices and taking action on those choices. The problem is, you know, as we said earlier, a lot of young people, they haven't, they don't have like a lot of, they haven't had a lot of practice making meet like those really important choices. So how can we get better at making choices? Is there like a system you can follow? Is it 
Yeah. I don't know. Or is there not a system? What does that look like? You know, interestingly enough, most of us are not trained or don't get educated specifically on how to make decisions. You know, it's it's very interesting to me that we don't get more, you know, along the way in school, you know, in high school, and you know, whether we're and then whether we go to college or whether we go to trade school. In some ways, you know, learning more specifically about how to make better decisions is it's so important to the to determining what kind of life you have because at the end of the day, you know, in many respects, we we are the sum total of all the decisions we've made in our lives. So getting better at making decisions is pretty important. So what we recommend in the book is using a process, having having a framework to make important decisions. And again, these are the decisions that are that are that are you know not for each and every decision like whether you're going to the supermarket to buy, you know, uh, a can of peas, it's for the important decisions you're going to make. Use a framework. We prov- we provide one in in the book. Actually, a fairly simple framework. We interviewed a judge, a detective, doctors, some business people to understand how these expert decision makers arrive at their judgments. So you know, using them as examples. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, everybody can become a better decision maker if if they focus on it. So. I think the issue is that, you know, again, it doesn't receive enough focus or attention. So, you know, when you actually do focus on how you make a decision, you know, you actually can make the quality of your decisions will go, will go up. So we talk a lot about in this chapter about being aware of the common thinking traps or biases you fall into. We all have, it turns out we all have them. And, you know, there's some really terrific research out there that's been conducted over the last 20 years or so on decision-making, on the human capacity for decision-making. And, you know, the results are pretty startling, which, you know, the bottom line is, you know, we we actually are not as good at decision-making as we think we are. And, you know, I see it in my work, you know, with, with uh, people who often, you know, work in business, Lots of bad decisions get made each and every day. So improving your hit rate there will improve the quality of your life. Yeah, the big takeaway for me from that chapter was understanding that our brain likes to be lazy when making decisions so that we rely on these biases or heuristics that in some situations they work, right? They're fine. They're there for a reason. But when you're making like long-term, really important decisions, like you actually don't want to be efficient with your thinking. You want to slow things down and actually, so you can be more effective, right? So it's going to be, your thing's going to be a little more clunky. It's going to be more intentional. It's going to feel harder, but that and that lets you know you're you're actually using that prefrontal cortex of yours that makes you a human. So in, instead of just relying on your emotions and sort of those biases that we have, that's right. That's right. I mean, simply slowing down the thinking process, you know, can have enormous benefit because we all, to your point, we all prefer as human beings to engage in what we call fast thinking. This this all comes from research, you know, really terrific research done by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, um, two psychologists who who did a really deep dive on human decision making. And you know, they basically have a two a two-stage model. 
that they built upon, which is the idea that system one thinking is fast thinking, which is more intuitive, more automatic. System two thinking is more deliberate. It's more you know rational and analytical. To engage effectively in system two thinking, you need to slow things down. And certain decisions really require system two thinking. You know, there's some decisions we make that it's okay to be automatic. It's okay to be, you know, you don't have to give them a tremendous amount of thought. You know, like again, back to the supermarket, you picking up a can of peas, it's not a big deal either way, you know, which can of peas you end up with. But, you know, when you're making an important career decision or, you know, you're thinking about, you know, getting married or you're, you know, making a really important life decision, that's really important to give some thought to, you know, how you're making that decision. And that requires employing what, what's called system two thinking, just slowing things down, using all your human capability to apply to that decision. And so, you know, again, the, the bottom line here is that, you know, we as human beings have a lot of capability within us that's undeveloped. And agency is the capacity to pull all of that together, all of all of our ability, all of our capacity as human beings, pull it all together and make use of it to make good choices and to be effective agents in, in our lives so that we create a life on our terms, not on somebody else's terms, not on, you know, uh, what someone on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, what, what, what somebody else has defined as being the good life, but really on our terms. And that's the key to a, to a well-lived life. And so, you know, and that's what agency is. You know, agency is making these decisions for yourself. It's thinking for yourself. It's, it's creating a life, again, on your terms. And so deliberate and then act, the final chapter of the book, is really where it all comes together. And it's designed to help you to become a much better decision maker in your life. Well, I think a lot of people, there might be not a lot of people, I think some people, they can make the choice, right? Do the deliberation part, but they, they have trouble taking action on that decision. What do you think is going on there? Like what's stopping them from taking action and how do you get over that hump? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question because I, I think, you know, some people, and I've, we've all probably come across these people, you know, they're smart, they seem really able and, you know, they, there are people who make good decisions, but then don't act on them. And, you know, we talk about the four large impediments to, to taking action in your life. And, you know, you know, one of, one of them, not surprisingly is, is procrastination, you know, procrastination gets gets in the way impulsivity is another one people jump too quickly to to making decisions and so that prevents them from taking the best actions obsession and perfectionism are the two two other impediments when we obsess over something you know we we are trying to make sure we're making the perfect decision you know and we can't you know, pull the trigger and just move forward. So, you know, these are probably four most common reasons, your common things that get in the way of people taking action. And, you know, they all have, they all produce different outcomes and, and people have different styles, right? People all have different styles. There are some people who are more obsessive, you know, in their thinking. They're constantly thinking about, well, but on the other hand, or, you know, well, what if, 
this or what if that. Then you got people who, you know, are so impulsive that they literally make a decision and, and they can move into action too quickly and then regret it. So, and then you have your procrastinators who who basically just try to, you know, avoid or defer, you know, even thinking about, about something till the last minute. So there's, you know, these are just some of the things that get in our way of putting good decisions, you know, in, in into play. And the book talks about these things and how to how to get around them. You know, the the the, the bottom line is, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit in terms for most people in terms of how they can be better, both at making decisions and then taking action on those decisions. And these things, you know, getting better at this stuff, you know, if it simply requires a bit of focus on it and, you know, with some focused attention to it, you know, anyone can become a much better decision maker. And, and that leads to greater confidence and greater happiness. And, you know, it's, it's really flexing your agency muscle, you know, because confidence you know, is directly related to, to agency. And it is the, the kind of antidote to the anxiety and overwhelm that everyone's experiencing these days. And, and, you know, that's really kind of what we designed the book for is for people to not be stuck for people to, you know, again, kind of, kind of more actively grab the bull by the horns and think about their lives, think about what matters to them, and get get busy creating that life for themselves. So, so anyway, it's a lot to think about, but really, bottom line here is, you know, we focus more on principles with this book as opposed to, you know, specific to-do items. So basically, you know, I think when, you know, and our assumption there is, you know, when people have like, you know, when they when they understand why they're doing something, which which is you know, the principles, and understand you know, why this matters. They then can put that into use in their lives. And it will, if it will influence, you know, how they go about everything. And as opposed to us telling them, you know, do this, don't do that. And, you know, which, which oftentimes can just add to people's overwhelm. So, you know, again, the book was written to, to help people simply become much better at, at, at making life choices and you know, creating a life uh, on their terms, and and moving away. A lot of times, that means moving away from the herd, not doing what everybody else is doing, and you know, and and finding out, you know, what matters to you. You know, what 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 floats your boat? Because you know, among the people we interviewed for this book, we found all kinds of people doing really interesting things, things you'd never would think of, and you know, that that came from them, you know, developing a greater sense of agency in in their lives. So we thought, you know, we share this with other people. This is going to really help. This is going to help people a lot. So that, that ultimately that's our goal is to help people to defeat overwhelm and anxiety, to feel less stuck and to create a life that is really uniquely theirs. Well, Paul, where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Yeah, well, the book is available. We launched last week. It's called The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. We also have a website, which is powerofagency.com. We have developed a, a short instrument, a test that you can take to measure your level of ability on these seven principles. 
So that, if you buy the book, you can take the test for free in the book. If you go to our website, you can actually take the first of the subtest, which which measures your your ability to control stimuli in your life, and you'll get a you'll get a you know a, a, a brief report with you know that describes your results. So we also have a we were guests on the podcast Better at Everything, and released they released that today. Actually, the Move principle was released today at, at, by the Better at Everything folks. That's part of Macmillan, our publisher. So there's lots of ways to learn about the book. It's available at every store on Amazon. And, you know, again, this is, I think this is in some ways has particular meaning to men because I didn't mention this at the beginning, but men are, are are struggling right now. You know, there's a lot of data on the fact that men are falling behind women in a lot of key measures, both uh, education and at work. And there's some clear reasons for that. And, you know, we wrote this book as a way to help all people, but but particularly to help men to get a leg up and to better adapt to the world we live in today. It's why our publisher is, has described the book as really it's the, the seven habits for highly effective people a generation later, 30 years after that book was published. You know, our book is is designed to help people navigate in a 24-7, you know, plugged in world, which didn't exist 30 years ago. And it's a different world. And, you know, and some people are doing better than others. And we wanted to write a book that talks about what those people are doing differently and, and why it is that they seem to be adapting better and what we can all learn from them. So this is our effort to to do that and put it out there. So yeah, you can buy the book anywhere books are sold. And I hope people, you know, really listen, continue listening to your podcast, Brett, because you got invaluable information here for people to listen to. They're they're incredibly fun and enlightening, you know, all the all the topics you cover. So that's another way to that's another way to position yourself as a learner is you know, get out there and 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 expose yourself to new to new ideas. And, you know, and, and that will increase your level of agency. Well, Paul Knapper, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. Really enjoyed it. My guest today was Paul Knapper. He's the co-author of the book, The Power of Agency. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about his work at his website, powerofagency.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash agency, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives. There's over 500 there, as well as thousands of articles written over the years on things like that relate to agency, how to make better decisions, how to be assertive, things like that. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only to listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Bye.